like a vending machine that you just stick in your dollar, your quarters, or you put in your ATM card and you just get out whatever you want. And then when you don't get what you want, you stomp around, you kick and scream, you kick the machine. I can't believe I didn't get what I want. I put in my prayer. Listen, that is not prayer. That is selfishness with a Jesus veneer. Prayer does not change God. Prayer changes us. The story of Jonah in The Big Fish is well known, and it's difficult to imagine a person in a more terrifying scenario. You'd think that if you were swallowed by a fish, you'd be praying, but Jonah was in the fish for three days and nights before he reached out to God. Today, Pastor Daniel considers what it means to pray and the consequences of it. Jonah was running from God, but prayer brings you near to the Lord, and you have to change. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, Deep Thoughts. I was part of that generation where uh, the television set was uh, a dinner guest. Anybody else have that kind of experience? Some of you? Yeah. I remember it was, it was actually quite disconcerting for me as a young man because um, my, both my mother who uh, would have celebrated her 67th birthday this past week. And my oldest sister were so good at Jeopardy back when Alex Trebek had normal colored hair before he was silver. And uh, right as they would, right as a question would pop up, they already knew the answer. I didn't even get a chance to read the question. Unless, of course, it was a sports question, which I was the only one who had the answers for that. But other than that, I just sat there just being like, oh, this is horrible. You guys, anybody have that experience before? Well, anyway, I, I don't know how I got off on that tangent already. It's going to be one of those messages. But, you know, in a movie, there always hits that point in a movie where the movie's either going to become horrible or something really amazing is going to happen. You know that where you hit a story where you're like, like I remember the first time I saw the movie Braveheart. Now, if you've never seen it, I'm going to not spoil the movie for you. But I remember the first time I saw that movie and uh, William Wallace's love, his wife, Marin, is killed in like the first like 25 minutes of the movie and you're just like, you can just never expect that that's what's going to happen, right? Like it's just like that's just not supposed to happen. They're supposed to live happily ever after in the end. That's the way the movies work. No, and it was like I was hooked right there. Well, the reason I bring that up is because we're in that place in the book of Jonah right now this series that we're calling Rebel, because everything has gone haywire from the start. God calls Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, and Jonah's like, Lord, I'm out of here. Goes in the exact opposite direction and ends up on a boat. He's supposed to be going to Nineveh. He's going to Tarshish. He's supposed to be going east. He heads northwest. He's just going the other direction. Right? And he ends up on this boat and he gets on this boat and it's a total mess. There's this crazy storm. The Lord sent the storm. And the boat dudes. Ah, you got the boat dudes. 
They're freaked out by it. They're freaked out by it as well. And they start praying and they wake Jonah up. And sure enough, Jonah's the reason for this storm. Right? And we ended last message with Jonah getting thrown into the water. So I want you to open up in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 2, in this series called Rebel. Now, a number of people ask me about the series title, Rebel, and they're like, oh, Rebel, so Jonah's the Rebel, or the Ninevites are the Rebel, and I keep saying, no, God is the Rebel. The main character of the book of Jonah is God, and God is the rebel. Now, I know there's some of you who've been in church so long, you can't even fathom calling God a rebel, but a rebel is somebody who rises up in opposition against the establishment. And in this book, God is the ultimate rebel because God sends his prophet Jonah to preach a message of judgment so that the arch enemies of the people of God would repent and God would forgive them. And that makes God a rebel. Because nobody wants to see their enemies flourish. Except for God. God is so unlike everybody else. And Jonah knows this. And that is why Jonah runs. And we're going to get to that in chapter 4. Jonah knows that God's plan is to forgive those bad, nasty Assyrians, those Ninevites. He knew what God was going to do. And he's like, I knew you were going to do that. And I didn't want to have any part of this. Some of us know what that's like, right? Where God asks us to go and forgive somebody who you don't want to forgive. But I'm getting ahead of the story. We ended chapter 1. So chapter 1, verse 17, the verse right before where we're starting here. It says, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I know that for some of you, you read that, you're like, you know, okay, so Fusco, I'm kind of all right with, I'm learning about Jesus, but this like, you can't believe this. You can't believe that there's a fish that's prepared that Jonah stays alive in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Right? And, and I want to say, if, if that's you, you're like, look, this is where I draw the line on the Bible. This is why I think it's a fairy tale, comic book, some kind of, this isn't real. I want to address that for a second. Now, I want you to notice first, there is the, what I call the argument from the lesser to the greater. I used this last week. How many of you guys ever heard of a thing called the submarine? Anybody ever hear of one? Submarine, Right? A submarine is a big metal machine that kind of looks like a fish, right? And you put a bunch of people in there, and you put them under the water. You can get hundreds of people in a submarine, and you can keep them underwater for hundreds of days, right? Everybody believed that uh, putting people under the water for an extended period of time and them not dying is possible. Everybody believe that? Yeah. Okay. So... Humans could figure out how to submerge hundreds of people under the water for hundreds of days and they not die. Everyone, we're all good with that, right? Now, if there is a God, and that God created humanity, then it's not a stretch of the imagination to think if humans can figure out God knew how to do it first, right? Listen, and I know those, some of you skeptics are like, oh, that, you know that's a solid argument. Because if there is a God and God created humanity and God is all-knowing and humanity is 
finitely knowing, then you would definitely say, okay, yeah, so there, there's one. So that's my first one. I got, a, I got a natural, a natural reason for this. And there's been some stories about people who've been swallowed. There was an older story and a, and a newer story about someone who got swallowed, one guy by a big uh, grouper fish and was in there for a little while. And so supposedly it's possible. I've never seen it. So for those of you who are skeptics, you're like, oh, listen, I've never seen it. But what's really interesting I just saw an advertisement on television. There's some guy, I don't know why he's doing this, but it's called Eating Alive. You guys see that? I don't know what's wrong with people. I feel bad if that guy's married. But they went to go catch an anaconda and he got a special like, I'm gonna let an anaconda eat me, but I'm not gonna die because of this special suit. And they're actually gonna show this thing. I don't know if they showed it already or not. I'm assuming he didn't die because they're gonna show it. So there's a guy who figured out how to put a suit on so he can get eaten by an anaconda so he can be eaten alive and not die and come out the other side. Now, again, the art, it's a crazy, I don't know, I haven't seen it. I just thought, I was like, ooh, this is perfect right for the Jonah series. This is so good. So if some knucklehead to get on TV wants to get eaten by an anaconda and he's not going to die and he's going to make it for a couple days, come out the other side, just put him some suit he invented, then that's possible. But you know what the thing with all those arguments are? It totally misses the point. You know why I know it misses the point? Why does it say that the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah? Was it to kill Jonah? No. God prepared a fish to keep Jonah alive. The fish was God's rescue vessel for Jonah. And my friends, if there is a God, and I'm here to tell you that there is, and if that God wants to keep a guy alive, if he wants to prepare a fish to do it, it's not that hard. See, the reason Jonah stays alive in the belly of the fish is because that's why God prepared the fish in the first place. The fish wasn't there because, you know, this big fish just happened to be by the boat that Jonah was on. It threw Jonah in the water and like, mmm, chum, and the fish just came and ate him. And Jonah miraculously stayed alive. No, the reason the fish is there in the first place is because God was not finished with Jonah. And by throwing Jonah into the water, everybody expected, including Jonah, that Jonah was good. That was the end of Jonah's life, but that's not the end of the story. The fish is there as a rescue vessel for Jonah. Now, if you were to get stuck in the water, let's say you're on a boat, you hit a big storm and the boat capsizes, you're grateful for the Coast Guard and the Navy divers and all these people. And they bring all these people, they come and they try and save your life, right? They got that from the book of Jonah. Because God wants to save this man. And so God appointed a fish, a vessel of rescue for Jonah. And listen, with that being the case, it's not strange that Jonah stayed alive in the belly of the fish because that's the very reason that fish was there. This is not a every fish is designed for this. This is a one-time rescue vessel from the Lord. And I'm here to tell you, listen, if God can send a Navy swimmer and he'd send a fish, I think you'd probably want the story that he sent a fish, right? Because that is a very unique reality, but that is why the fish is there. Now, notice what happens. I'm going to read you all of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. 
And he heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 5, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountain, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And then verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I've entitled this message, Deep Thoughts. <laughs> because Jonah is in the deep, and he's praying. Now, you'll notice that it says in the end of chapter 1 that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord. Now, you notice that. So Jonah's in there for three days. It says three days and three nights. Now, what you have to realize is that the three days, three nights idiom is a Hebrew way of saying three days. It doesn't mean 72-hour days. I know in our language, in uh, post-enlightenment English, everything is very hyper-specific, that you have to say everything exactly right. But you can read rabbinical writings that three days and three nights means three days. And if it was a part of a day or a whole day, it, it was irrelevant to them. They're not now, let me say this real quick, because I say that, and I know some going to be like, oh, well, no, 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 no. Pastor, you don't understand. Listen, every culture has a set of goggles that looks at the world through. Ours is primarily based off of the scientific revolution, the industrial age, where we are like, we have science, we have all this information, and we need to be hyper-specific, right? How many of you still balance your checkbook down to the penny? God bless you guys. It's like, it's not enough to round it off. That's my pennies, right? Right? Sports statistics. They have a statistic for everything. Why? Because we need our stats. We can tell you everything based on all this information. I mean, think about it. You go to the grocery store, right? You can find out everything that's in what you're about to put your body. How it relates to some daily allowance that you're supposed to have. And if it was in a factory that has all these other things that you may not want to eat. All, we have all this information. That's the way our culture runs. Now listen, not every culture was this way. And because this is our culture, we're like, well, that's the way it has to be. But you got to realize this all happened long before it. So whether or not we like it or not like it, because people argue about, oh, three days, it has to be 72 hours. Well, no, you read the writings. If it was just a part of a day, that would be considered three days and three nights. And so a lot of people argue about how long was Jesus in the tomb? Some people say, it had to be 72 hours. Other people are like, well, no. He went in on before sundown on Friday. He got out early in the morning on Sunday. It was probably more like 40 hours. As if 40 or 72 is a big difference. If someone's dead for 40 hours and they come back to life, they're dead and they came back to life. That's a miracle. So... The idea here is that Jonah's in there for a while, right? 
He's in there for a while. Now, why does it take Jonah three days and three nights or 40 hours, whether it's a part of one day and a full day and a part of another day? Why is he in there for so long before he prays? That's a great question. You know what I'll tell you? I don't know the answer. Some people want to say that Jonah was still so mad at God that he's in the belly of the fish being like, well, I'm not talking to you, Lord. Some people want to say that. Other people would say that Jonah, the whole ordeal, he was already sleeping in the boat, so he was, you know, he probably just passed out and he came to later. Don't know, that would be a pretty mighty long nap. I don't know why Jonah takes so long, but what we find is that ultimately then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, my friends, what we need to realize is that prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. You, see, now listen, most people think, listen, I pray and I'm going to change God's mind. That is not true. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. Because prayer is not reaching up into heaven and changing what's going to happen here on earth. Prayer is reaching up into heaven to link up hands with God for God's will to be done on earth. Not to get our will done in heaven. See, too many of us think of prayer as like a vending machine. That you just stick in your dollar, your quarters, or you put in your ATM card, and you just get out whatever you want. And then when you don't get what you want, you stomp around, you kick and scream, you kick the machine. I can't believe I didn't get what I want. I put in my prayer. Listen, that is not prayer. That is selfishness with a Jesus veneer. Prayer does not change God. Prayer changes us. See, Jonah's heart is changing here. Because think about what happened. Jonah runs from God. And they have to wake Jonah up to pray. Right? He's sleeping in the bottom of the boat. He's like, I just don't want it. These guys are all freaking out. They're crying out to all their gods, the boat dudes. They didn't know what to do. And there's Jonah sleeping. And the captain wakes him up. Remember this? What do you mean, sleeper? Cry out to your God. He's got to be prodded to cry out to his God. And now Jonah's in the belly, and now he's crying out to the Lord his God. See, prayer changes us. And I believe that is why, my friends, that we are apt to be prayerless. Because deep down in our hearts, we really don't want to change. That's a challenging statement, isn't it? You have to ask yourself, do you really want God to revolutionize your life? Do you really want everything about you to be changed and conformed to be the way God wants it to be? I think for most of us, we're not so sure about that. That we, we love the idea of God. We love the idea of forgiveness and grace. But true transformation of every part of who we are, that sounds like a makeover that we may not be so good with. Because there's aspects to who we are that we just flat out like, we feel comfortable with. And I think this is why for so many people, they don't follow Jesus. Because they want to stay exactly the way that they are. They want to hate who they hate. 
They want to like who they like. They don't want anyone to tell them what or how they should live their life. I mean, the people who crucified Jesus said, we will not have this man to rule over us. And prayer is the vehicle that God uses to exert his authority and transform us from within. And that's why in the New Testament we read things like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, pray without ceasing. Because prayer is the God-initiated conversation that we get to have. And that should be something that is not based on a prayer meeting time or a schedule. That is a constant dialogue that should be happening. We read things like Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You hear what, what I just said? Don't be anxious, but pray. And prayer and thanksgiving, or supplication, one's a general type of prayer, supplication is specific requests with praise, with thanksgiving. Instead of being anxious, pray, supplicate, give thanks, and let all your requests be made known to God. And then it says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. See, the reason we are anxious is because we want human peace. We just want to make sure everything's okay. But God doesn't want to just give us a situational peace. God wants to give us a global, overarching shalom or flourishing or true prosperity that has nothing to do with money. God wants to bestow that. It will guard not only our hearts but our minds. See, prayer changes us because in prayer, we begin to appropriate the promises of God and God begins to reshape our hearts and our lives. But you have to ask yourself, when was the last time you really prayed? It reminds me of the Apostle Paul. Remember before he was the apostle, he was known as Saul of Tarshish. And Saul was a pretty mean dude. He didn't like these Christians. He was actually so passionately against Jesus as the Messiah that he made it his own personal mission to stamp it out of Judaism. And what's amazing, remember when he's going on that road to Damascus and he is blinded and knocked off his horse and he finds out that he's been persecuting Jesus, right? There's a, an apostle who the Lord speaks to a disciple and he says, listen, I want you to go and I want you to go to this place and you're going to meet this man, Saul of Tarshish. And he says, behold, he prays. It's amazing. Saul of Tarshish had prayed three times every day, radically religious for his whole life. And it's like, no, no, no. The, Jesus is like, no, he's, he's praying. Jesus is Thanks for joining us today for this edition of Jesus is Real Radio. We're so blessed by what God is doing through Jesus is Real Radio. 
we want to give you the opportunity to partner with us. For anyone who wants to help further the gospel here on Jesus is Real Radio, with a gift of $20 or more, we will send you a personalized copy of Pastor Daniel's book, Honestly. I'll be back in a moment to tell you how you can receive your personalized copy. But first, here's Pastor Daniel with more about this special book offer. Thanks, Josh. Honestly is a book I wrote to help people deal with the messiness of life. I mean, we all know it. Life throws us curveballs all the time. We never know what's coming next. But honestly comes from what I've discovered out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, how you can manage your life through the lens of your relationship with Jesus. It's some powerful stuff, and I've been blessed, as many people have told me, how the book has helped them on their spiritual journey. I'm confident that honestly will be a blessing to you as you walk with Jesus, and I'll be personalizing each and every copy for the Jesus is Real radio listeners who partner with us this month. Here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive your very own personalized copy of Honestly, simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Then you can securely make your donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping. Remember, by partnering with us this month with your gift, You'll not only receive this great resource, you'll also be enabling Jesus is Real Radio to be heard on this station and many more. That's all the time we have for today. Join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. We need you.